How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for healthcare professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. Sometimes understanding personal finance can be challenging, but definitely not complicated. And everybody can do this. I mean, I'm an example of someone who knew nothing about personal finance in a very short time. I believe that I understand a lot about personal finance now and the management of money. But despite that, I am still a physician, and I got a full-time job as a physician. So I don't really. You know, play in this market day in day out, and I don't look at computer screens, looking at investments day in day out. That's not my job. So when things can get complicated,、uh, when the amount of complexity rises because we are now married, we have children, we have different goals and objectives in our lives. For example, kids' tuitions,、uh, retirement planning, estate planning, doing wills. And figure out, you know, should I pay debt first? Should I pay debt after? Should I invest in real estate? Those are very complicated decisions, and sometimes we need to put pen to paper. Actually, not sometimes; most of the time, we need to put pen to paper, and we need someone to help us with that. Remember that investment is just one part of the financial equation. There are so many other aspects of financial planning. For example. Risk management, estate planning, retirement planning, tax planning, and so if we are doing the do-it-yourself investment、uh, style, or you want to do the couch potato style, or you want to do the ETF type of investment, keep in mind that it is just about investment. It is not about financial planning, and so as things get more complicated, we do need a team because. If you're a physician or you're a PA or you're an NP, you understand what team means. In healthcare, nobody works alone. In fact, you won't succeed if you work alone. So why do you think that you would want to run your financial life that way? Having a team on your side, with the best team on your side, is probably the highest chance of success. If you are motivated and you want to plan for success, you need the best team. And remember. If you fail to plan, you are planning to fail. What I'm planning to do today on this show is to give the audience a glimpse of what a good encounter with a financial planner should look like. We all come across financial planners and/or financial advisors in our life, and so how do we know that we have a good financial planner or an advisor? Everything is in the encounter. Everything is in the relationship, and so we need to understand what that looks like. Now, I'm going to give you today a glimpse of an interview, and the interview is is structured so that we get a certain sense of how it should begin, how it should look like, and what are the type of questions that a good financial planner should dive into. This is by all means not a comprehensive interview. Because we can't do that in a podcast, but it's just to give you a glimpse 
of what a good interview should look like. It should not look like a sales pitch, by all means. If your encounter sounds a lot like a sales pitch and you notice that the advisor is trying to sell you something even before understanding you, then recognize that it is a sales pitch and that you probably would not want to work with this advisor. So understand who you're working with and what they are trying to do. To do this, I've invited a CFP, a Certified Financial Planner, to role play with me and understand what a good interview should sound like. Today on this show, I have Danny Seward from Newfoundland. And Danny is a Certified Financial Planner, a CFP. As we're doing the role play with Danny, you will notice that Danny will come out of character from time to time. And during that time, he will explain the rationale of his questions so that we can understand where he's coming from when he's asking those questions. And hopefully with this example interview, you can see what a good encounter, an initial encounter with a CFP or planner should look like and should make you feel comfortable that you are dealing with the right person. So here we go. Uh, Danny, are you there, please? Hey, how you doing? How are you doing, Danny? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay, so Danny, do you want to just maybe say a few words about yourself? Sure. So um, I'm in the wealth management space. I typically deal with doctors, uh, lawyers, dentists, high you know high net worth uh, or incorporated professionals. Uh, my practice expands from Newfoundland as far as Alberta. Um, I have a team of uh, four people that uh, work with me day to day to support business. Just to uh, come back, you are a, a CFP certified financial planner because this is very important for uh, our standards. One hundred percent. I mean, just as you would walk into a doctor's office, uh, you know, even a specialist, you, you would like to know that you're talking to someone who's uh, specialized or certified in their field. Uh, in Canada, uh, it takes very little uh, education or knowledge to be called a financial planner or financial advisor. Uh, simple, couple simple courses, and you can go, go work at a bank or any other institution and be called a financial advisor. But the CFP designation separates the majority of financial planners, advisors uh, from everybody else. Uh, we have a fiduciary duty to always ensure that our client's best interest is first and foremost. We have to maintain our designation by obtaining, you know, CE credits on an annual basis to keep that designation in place. So it's uh, it's a highly, in my opinion, it should be a highly sought after designation by anybody who's looking or seeking the services of a wealth management advisor. It's always, at the very least, start with someone who has a CFP. Very good. So what we're going to do today with Danny is demonstrate what a interview should sound like or should be like when you're meeting your financial planner for the first time. Obviously, there are many ways of doing this and many ways to skin a cat, but I think we would want to demonstrate the essentials of what a good rapport and good interview should look like so that we know that we are dealing with a an advisor who has our best interest at mind. So I'm going to play the client and Danny will obviously be the financial planner and we're going to start the interview. And so again, I just want to remind everybody that not everybody does this the same way, but the principles should be there at all times. 
Okay, so typically when I sit, uh, meet someone for the very first time, at least face to face, if not virtually, as we're as we're doing now, uh, I carry two magnets with me. Um, and the reason why I do that is I, I want people sitting across the table from me to be able to visually see what the importance of a relationship is. So I'm sure yourself and the majority of your listeners will understand relationships can do one of two things. We can either attract to one another or we can repel. And as, as hard as I want to push these magnets together, they will not, they will not go together. So if you and I feel that this is what's going to happen after our interview, let's cut our losses. Let's not waste each other's time because we know that each other's time is very valuable and we just go a separate ways. Um, because in my business, in my practice, a relationship is paramount. If we don't have a relationship, we don't do business. So I work very hard at making the attraction so that you feel very comfortable in being attracted to my business. I'm also comfortable in having you come on as a potential client. It's a two-way street. In this relationship, you're always number one. That's that fiduciary duty that I carry as a CFP. And I'm number two. That's just the way it has to be. Not that your goals or concerns are any more important than mine. It's just that I hold myself to a very high level of standard accountability. I need to ensure that I put you on a pedal and you feel as if that you're being given solid advice by a trusted advisor who you know is going to be with you for the next 10, 15, or 20 years. If you feel this is only going to be for a two or three month stint, I am not interested. You're wasting your time. I am wasting mine. Let's not go any further if we feel that we're not going to attract like the magnets would. In this relationship, is a two-way street. So basically, I need to be able to educate you on what I do, my service offering, how I help people. In return, you need to educate me on what your personal financial situation is like today. All the different nuances about you, your family, liabilities, debts, if you're incorporated, insurances, taxes, the whole nine yards. So when I get to the discovery phase, I'm like a sponge. I'm just letting you educate me on your personal situation because this is not cookie cutter. Everybody's individual situation is completely different. It needs to be done with a hands-on approach and plan customized specifically for you, your family, your corporation, whatever your potential goals and concerns are today. Any questions or concerns on the importance that I'm placing on this relationship? No, we're good. Okay. And I'm happy. Okay, good to hear. So I just want to step out of character, Vu, and just yeah. be able to explain to you that the majority of the population out there think that wealth management is about products, services, fees, and rates of return. And so it is. It absolutely needs to be that. However, the good CFPs out there are very concerned about their clients' well-being, about what it's going to look like for them for the next 15 or 20 years, and how much value and a total impact we can bring to somebody in their family. There's nothing that brings us great joy in watching our clients achieve their short, long-term goals for themselves, for their kids, their elderly parents, whatever the case may be. If we know we had a hand in that, that's what our rate of return is. So for me, starting off by establishing how important a relationship is, 
is paramount for my practice. And there, I can count them on one hand, but there have been a couple of times where both the client and I knew that this was not what they were looking for. And we just pretty much agreed right at the table. The meeting was 10 minutes, it was over. They were looking for someone who's just gonna develop a rate of return. You can go to a stockbroker for that. that. That's not what I do. And I think as physicians, we think very similarly, right? We, we develop rapport with our patients and our ultimate goal is for our patients to live in a healthy and long life, but also a happy life. Our goal is very much similar to yours, whereas, you know, we work with healthcare and biology and physiology. You work with finance and investments and rate of return. But the ultimate goal, whether you're a physician or a CFP, is really dealing with, you know, the overall happiness and, and safety and lifelong health of that person. I do it from a health perspective. You do it from a wealth, wealth perspective. Exactly. So now I'm going to step back into character and, and bring you to the next phase of where I want to bring my client. So what are the three things in general during a course of a lifetime most people are looking for? Three things, three things most people are looking for. Starts with J, P, or F. Any idea what they are? Joy? Exactly. Uh, P. Hmm. F, I would say family. Close. Freedom. Freedom. Okay. And P, you really got me there. Peace? Exactly. Two out of three. You did very, very well. JPF, joy, peace, and freedom. Throughout the course of everyone's lifetime, not from a wealth management perspective, but just from an overall family and wanting a, a long, healthy life, people want joy, peace, and freedom. Now, as a physician... You can bring that to people's lives by your skill set. How do I bring it to people's lives using my skill set? Um, and just for an example, today, I just want to talk about joy. So I'm just drawing a circle on my piece of paper. And it looks like this. It's like the, uh, like the P symbol set up in three different sections. Right? So you got a circle, and now it's cut up into three different pieces. For joy, what is it that brings people joy? There's three things that bring people joy. One is the places that they've been to or the places that they want to go. The second one are the people that they surround themselves with on a daily basis. The third are pursuits, things that they've already pursued in their lifetime, maybe through career or education, whatever the case may be, and other things that they want to pursue going forward. So what brings people joy? People places, pursuits. The opposite is also true as well. Psychology shows us that if you hang around with people who are energy suckers or energy vampires, they will not bring you joy. If you pursued a career you don't like, but yet you're in that career because you're educated and it's what maybe a family member wants you to do, it may not necessarily bring you joy. My whole role and goal with people is to be one of the people that bring them an amounts, uh, amounts of joy. And then my second goal is to find out what are the places and or pursuits. Basically, rename it. What are your goals and concerns? What are the things you want to plan for, short and long term, that's going to bring you joy? An exercise that I get to do with people 
is, and Vu, I'll get it to do with you, on, on a back, on your piece of paper, draw a long straight line. On the left side of the line, put zero, and on the right side, 100. So it's gonna look like this. Straight line, zero, 100. Yep, done. On that line, just put a mark across it to represent how old you are today. So I just wrote, I'm not 50, but I just wrote 50. for this Sure, example. I'll put 50. Okay? Yeah. So basically, you're born, you're at zero, pass away at 100. You could be lived a little longer, you may die a little sooner. But average, let's look, you was at 100. And if you're 50 today, what's one or two things that maybe you or a family member uh, did or planned to get you to where you're at today? One or two things that really stand out to you that happened in your life. Maybe it was marriage, children, graduating high school, graduating university, something that was very important to you in the past, something that bought you joy. Uh, I believe, well, something that was important in my past was the my parents' dedication to uh, my family. So both myself and my sister. Okay. Uh, so, so that's that's very important to me. So they, they, they probably helped you out in some way, shape or form. Uh, not necessarily financially, but just emotional support, mental support, whatever the case may be. Yeah, and I think all of it. People people may not know this, but you know, I'm a a boat person from uh, Vietnam. So we escaped the communist Vietnamese in the 1970s. So we came here in Canada with nothing on our backs other than our T-shirt. The rest is history. Is the fact mm -hmm. that my parents came here to give us a better life. So. Right. For me, that's that's majorly important. So I'm sure at times that it was done maybe during a fleeting moment, but it took some planning and some ideas for all that to happen. Absolutely. Just, right? It just didn't happen overnight. Your parents Absolutely. just wake up and say, okay, we're doing this. It's a plan. There's a lot of things that happen. Now look at yourself today and project out for the next 50 years What's one or two things that Vu would like to do or will accomplish that would bring him, his family, his kids joy? The first thing that I would like to do in the next 50 years would be to make sure that my kids enjoy their professions. And it could be anything that they want to do, not necessarily in medicine, but anything that they want to do. I just want to make sure that they enjoy doing it. So I think one of my goals is to make sure that I get them there. Okay, so the young, the oldest child would graduate would graduate high school, and you know, hopefully, your your dream or what something would bring you joy is for them to go on university. Uh, how many years from now? At what age? At what age would you be when that happens? Uh, around eighteen or nineteen, correct? When they your go age? Oh, uh, what age would that happen for me? Uh, that would be let's just say ten years from now. So I would be 60, let's say. Okay, so on that line, you're gonna put another mark and you're gonna write 60. And then, the, you know, now we're gonna say education. Not to drag the suit, but I, I would actually, I'll step out of character now. Now what I'm trying to do is figure out what are the top two or three things that are very important to you in the short or long term. And so far, you know, we haven't talked about money. We haven't talked about fees, rates of return. I'm re I really, truly want to understand what is important to you. It's not for me to decide what's important to you. It's for you to tell me 
what's important to you. My goal is that if education, you know, maybe maybe 10 years after that, you and your wife always want to do, a, I don't know, a trip around the world, and it was going to be a $50,000 price tag. But you know what? That's something that's going to bring you guys immense joy, peace, and freedom. And that's very important to you. Okay. That's the second goal. We know how important this is. So what, what I'm doing now is just getting from you your goals, concerns, maybe some pain points, if you will. And it, it then becomes the, the focus and my priority to make sure that these are the things that we're going to accomplish for you. Are there a lot of other things that we're going to do through wealth management planning? Absolutely, 100%. But they may not be as important as what you just described to me. As our discussions carry on, these goals or concerns may also change. Yeah. I need to be able to pivot as well. I need to be able to make sure that what we put in place for you makes sense, but we need to be able we need some flexibility. It's like if you get on a plane in Toronto and you're supposed to fly to Vancouver and you know that's your goal is that you you expect to get on a plane in Toronto, you fly to Vancouver, that's your endpoint, that's your goal. You get on a plane you know, I get your seatbelt down. The pilot comes on and says, welcome aboard, everybody. Leaving Toronto shortly. Go to Vancouver. We're not 100% sure if we got enough fuel to get there, but we're going to try. <laughs> How are you going to feel about that situation? Very insecure. 100%. My goal is to bring that level of security to you. If, if it's what you're telling me it's important, it's important to me. It's that joy, peace, and freedom that I want to ensure that I'm bringing to my potential client who's looking at me to help them solve these problems. Any questions or concerns on that? No, we're good. Staying out of character now, Vu, I just want to make sure that if you want, I'll jump into the, the PowerPoint now that I would typically would do with a potential client to uh, show them, you know, the service offering, uh, the team, and what we do. I guess, into a bit of a micro analysis to help you accomplish your pain points, goals, or concerns. You will find many wealth management advisors who are CFP or who are not, who probably only focus on investments. Or there are some who only focus on insurance. There are some who may focus on those two pillars or a couple more. So I, I'm what you would call a holistic uh, wealth management advisor. So basically I'm focusing on many different facets of one's overall financial well-being. So that starts off with cash flow. We want to make sure that we have strategies in place for anything that may happen unexpectedly. Are we having to make any plans for any major expenditures? A big one in today's world is making sure that we're optimizing your retirement. There are many different sources of retirement income. Uh, and we want to make sure that we have those optimized. Uh, another, another one that we're finding here too uh, a lot in the last few years with the demographic getting older is families want to ensure that their estate or their wealth is transitioned to other family members or even to charities. Philanthropy is quite big as well. So that's an area that we focus on. And for the incorporated professionals who are clients, we look at maximizing your business success. So while you are a business owner, one of the areas we look at is 
you know, how do we maximize that corporation for the benefit of you, your family, from a tax planning, from a uh, how you pay yourself. But then ultimately down the road, you, depending on the business you're in, you may want to sell your business. You may want to transfer it to a family member, whatever the case may be. So then we, we're looking at strategies that we can put in place to look at business succession planning. While I'm looking at all these different areas, one important thing that we're always, always taking into consideration is whatever we do, we need to make sure it's the most tax efficient way possible. So taxes, in my opinion, is the biggest debt that you will ever have to pay. And so the the less tax debt that we can pay puts more money in your pocket. Uh, so every, anything that we do from managing cash flow to sharing your wealth to your retirement, we're always looking at making sure that we have tax efficient planning in place. The other thing which a lot of people hasn't had been too worried about lately, but it's something that's going to start coming into your horizon fairly soon is inflation. We've seen record low inflation rates for a number of years, but given the where we're to in the economy, uh, where interest rates are too, all that good stuff around us, inflation is slowly going to start creeping up. So another important factor in any planning that we do for, for clients is we want to make sure that we're outpacing inflation, we're protecting the purchasing power of your dollar uh, so that you have money down the road that kept up inflation and, uh, and outpaced it. Depending on you know, your situation, again, I deal with incorporated professionals. So there might be some inflows coming to you from your corp. You might have investment income inside your corp or personally. There's potential for some RSP income. There's OES, there's CPP. Uh, and then, then you have a salary on top of all that. So and depending on the life stage you're in, many different sources of retirement income. They all need to be managed in a certain way, the most tax efficient way. That's one of the big things that we work with on our clients is to make sure that we plan now, even if you don't retire for 10 or 15 years, we're planning now on how to maximize that retirement income because there are things that we could be doing today to put the motion in place for where you're going to redraw retirement income 10 or 15 years down the road. It's very important what you just said there, because many of us are in the mentality of what I call accumulation. So we're chasing that we're chasing that rate of return. We're chasing that 9%, 10%, you know, but we're not thinking about what we keep at the end, which is what you're saying is it's not what you make is what you keep that is important. And so the taxes are important. And, and one does not think about taxes and tax efficiency you know, 10 years prior to retirement. As you mentioned, we try to do this the first time you meet with your client so that the focus on the goals, but how do we get there the most tax efficient way possible? And so thinking about taxes starts from day one, not not at age 50 where I am now, or not at age 60 when I'm about to retire. Exactly. It needs to be like, a, not to sound like a pair, but tax is the biggest bill you will ever pay. You know, looking at all those different areas, how do I dig into these areas and help a client understand what we do going forward? So the very first step is discovery and clarify. So basically, I want to discover what brings you joy, peace, and freedom. That will give me the clarity that I need. So we just went through that with you. From there, now I need to analyze and explore the option. 
you know, once I got a good understanding of your overall financial situation, what are the assets, your liabilities, your insurance, your mortgages, all the different things you have around you. Let me back up. So one of the questions, I'll step out of character for a second again now, Vu. One of the things I do ask during my initial meeting is, uh, have you ever put a puzzle together? You know, a 50 or 100 piece puzzle. The, the largest puzzle I've tried is about 120 pieces. <laughs> okay, fair enough. The size of it don't matter. I'm not a very good puzzle uh, player. <laughs> what was the most important tool you had when you were putting that puzzle together? Uh, I guess the most important tool is uh, having a reference, a point of reference, having, so the, the, having the, the picture to see where I'm going. 100%. It's the cover of the box. That right. cover of that... Most important tool. What I do is the same thing. You have all these different financial planning puzzle pieces around you, assets, liabilities, insurance, corporations, income, all this good stuff. They're all different financial planning puzzle pieces. I take all these different pieces. I put them together. I create your financial puzzle. I create the cover of the box for Vu and his family. So now I see in full color, the picture, you've explained to me what brings you joy, peace, and freedom using tax-efficient strategies, looking at long-term retirement income withdrawal strategies, on, 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 on. I now dissect that puzzle, present to you a plan that shows you how we're going to achieve everything that you told me you wanted to achieve, and we put that plan in place. We explain to you what it all means. Now, this doesn't happen in one meeting. If I, I could come back to you with 10 ideas and 15 different things that we need to look at, and here's the reason why, but what I do is typically pick the first one or two priorities, set that in motion, get that under control, first and foremost, so that you understand why we're doing it, why it's important. I don't expect you to understand it six months from now. It's like a, you know, it's, it's a, like a taillight warranty. As soon as you drive off the lot, you've got it forgotten about. That's okay. I haven't got it forgotten about. If you did forget about it, guess what? You have an online plan that you can log on and you can see it there in full color to refresh your memory as to why we did what we did. As long as you know at the point in time of making a decision to engage and to put a plan in motion because you know what that desired outcome is going to be. If you're educated, which is my job to educate you so that you understand why you're going to pull the trigger on, a, on an idea or a concept or whatever the case may be for you to achieve the desired outcome. I lay it all out in front of you. It's for you to decide. I never do business on the first meeting. I always ask people to walk away, take it home, chew on it, come back with Questions, concerns, we'll address. Remember, this is a long-term relationship. This is not about getting in, making you know ideas, put in motion, and, and carry on. It, 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 we have years and years planned. You know, once we develop that plan, we've engaged. You've you've put some things in motion. Uh, so that's the, you know, that's the implementation phase. And then every so often, and this comes back to my service offering, how often do you need to communicate from us? 
is it quarterly, monthly, every, you know, twice a year, once a year, that's completely up to yourself. And then we, you know, we get back together, we meet up, we discuss over coffee, lunch, virtually, whatever the case may be, review the plan, explain to me things that might've changed, all that good stuff. And we just keep monitoring and adjusting as, uh, as life goes on. Life do change and life throws us uh, curveballs and we need to be able to, to adapt to right. that. I just recently did an episode with a colleague of mine who sort of gave us his experience with divorce. And so that's one major event that happens in our life that most likely will change part of those plans and those puzzles. Exactly, 100%. Unfortunately, we're 50% of marriages in a divorce. We see it every day. And again, uh, as a CFP, uh, I actually have letters on file. Typically, both spouses... Although they're separated, they've gone their separate ways, they still want to keep the relationship that I have with them intact. So we have, as CFPs, we have letters that we have clients sign. Uh, and in this case, we actually have them sign individual letters after the separation has taken place so that they understand that although I'm not going to communicate anything about you to your ex, I can still represent you and help you, uh, you know, for the next 15 or 20 years. Unfortunately, divorce is quite common. Now, when you were mentioning about, you know, the several domains of financial planning, uh, you mentioned um, optimizing retirement, transition of estate, maximizing business success, uh, risk mitigation is one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, So sometimes when you're facing with a client, especially with healthcare people, you, you know that people in healthcare are typically type A, high performance individuals. And rarely do they show their embarrassment of not knowing things because we typically like to appear that we know everything, <laughs> even though we don't necessarily do. And so a lot of the a lot of the times there needs to be education, especially when you're saying things and, and using words that we don't understand. How do you go about that? How what how, what is your techniques to go about that? You're right. I mean, depending on the level of education, the skill set, the, the the understanding of the person that, that I'm talking to, one of the challenges that, that we have is we need to meet them at their level in terms of educating and communicating and how we, we try and get across what we're trying to get across. So I usually like to keep things very simple. Uh, I don't use long, complicated words. One of the reasons is probably I can't pronounce half of them myself. And I, I like to give examples. I, I, I like to, like as I, as I showed you, I had my magnets, I had my paper, and I'm getting you to do things. I like to get people involved. So I like telling stories, drawing out things on paper, and just get so that they can feel a little more immersed. So if I come across a healthcare professional, you know, maybe it's a young family that just had a baby and the mom is the main, uh, the main income earner. Uh, dad is probably maybe he's still in school or he's going to be a stay at home mom or stay at home dad, sorry, for the next few years. Cause you know, being home with the child is something that's important to them. And if I come across a scenario like that and the mom has no life insurance. So typically all I'll simply do is look at the mom and just pretty much ask her, can you envision like close your eyes. Can you envision that if something happened to you tomorrow at work, in the subway, at the mall, and you didn't come home, how does that look for your husband and your child? What does that scenario look like for the next 20 years? And I just 
give them a few seconds and it doesn't take long for them to see how important life insurance is to the mom because she is the main income earner for the family. I don't have to sell life insurance. That becomes a no brainer at that point in time. Now, do I need to educate them on the nuances of life insurance and all the different types that are out there and you know the cost and the premiums and cash values of 100%? Yes, we do. However, if, if I can just show them the importance of putting an idea in place, I think that's what's more important than anything. They understand the importance of it. We need to get it in place. All the nuances that come after, we'll get through them over time. I agree. I agree. I, I think the one thing that most people don't understand, especially in healthcare, is the importance of mitigating risk. And most people don't understand that life insurance, disability insurance, critical illness insurance is a risk mitigating tool. Uh, and because we don't speak in those language, right? The language that we speak is someone's trying to sell me an insurance. <laughs> right. That's that's what we see from our end. But unfortunately, that's not necessarily the truth. What the truth is, you need to have something to mitigate risk or to share your risk with, as opposed to right. taking all the risk burden on your own. And so sometimes communicating that is the first step so that when they sit in front of you or in front of another CFP, you know, when you talk about whole life insurance or you talk about term, at least they have an idea of what you are talking about. So that's my goal is to help them to get there and also help them to ask the intelligent questions that I hope you can answer because that's how your rapport will build is that you, you feel like the questions are important and you feel that the questions are actually relevant so that you can help in the best way that you can. And how can you help in the best way that you can if your client or the individual doesn't have a basic understanding. Correct. And, you know, a fiduciary duty that we have as well is any, and again, we're, we're talking about insurance or risk mitigating factors here, but anytime that we discuss any type of an insurance product for a client, we should be backing that up with a INA, insurance needs analysis. And again, you know, it sounds complicated, but it's not. Insurance needs analysis. We're going to do an analysis on the needs of the insurance that you've acquired. How do we simply do that? Well, through the discovery phase, I've already figured out your incomes, your debts, uh, ages of kids, all that stuff. That's all the information we use to compile an insurance needs analysis. It's just another, again, it's another visual I can put in front of the client and say, okay, based on your situation, here are your needs you know, explain to them, then maybe it's a, it's a whole life, it's a disability return of premium, or it's a CI, a critical illness with return of premium. What I'm finding today, especially in the healthcare profession, is that a lot of people are gravitating towards the insurance policies or products that has a return of premium built into them. It becomes like a bit of a win-win. Clients like that, that idea. So again, it's just another layer of education that, uh, that we have to, uh, to give the client to ensure that we're meeting their needs, but there's also something in there that they can see that it's it's going to pay back if I don't use it. Because as you said, it's risk mitigating. We're not putting it in place because we're going to use it, right? We, we put it in place because we just want to transfer that risk to somebody else. That's exactly. the only reason why it's put in place. 
We, we don't plan on dying. We don't plan on getting a disability and we don't plan on getting critical illness. You know, I ask them, do you, own a, do you own a house? Do you own a car? Yes, whatever the case may be. If your house was on fire or if you got into a car accident, are you going to run out then and buy insurance? Well, guess what? It's too late. No one is going to insure you. Get it before it happens. Transfer the risk to somebody else. With the return of premium features now, clients kind of like, because again, nobody plans on disability, critical or death, but at least if they don't use it, they're going to get something back. Right. I mean, the same idea coming back to the car insurance. One doesn't buy car insurance so that they can get into a car accident. Exactly. Right. Get it because you want to transfer the risk to the insurer. In terms of the process, uh, what I understand is, so your first initial encounter is developing that rapport, developing the trust, developing that relationship for a long-term relationship. This is not about selling an insurance. It is not about selling an investment. It is not about selling a mutual fund. It is working together for the next 10, 15, 20 years down the line. 100%. For you to do that, you need to understand the client. You need to understand the family unit. You need to understand the goals, the objectives. But I think you put something that is really important to me is what you call the pain points. And that is a very important word. You know, the one thing that I learned in marketing during my MBA, you know, you have a business if you know where people are suffering from, because if you can deliver a service, a product, a gadget, an equipment, an IT to meet where the client has the pain point, then you will have a business forever. Not talking about business, talking about financial planning, the concept of pain point is what keeps me awake at night. You know, I'm a father of two and I work emergency medicine and I'm working all these shifts, not because I, I need to buy a lot of stuff, it's because I have commitments to my family and I can't sleep at night because of X, Y, Z reasons. And I think working with someone like yourself is trying to figure out how can I, you know, mend those gaps, mend those sleepless nights the most efficiently possible. So a good advisor, as you say, or someone who will try to meet those pain points. I say to people sometimes, depending on the advisor, I don't talk about it banks. Uh, everybody needs a bank, a bank account. So the banks do mortgages, all that good stuff. So what, what I find with the, the majority of financial planners who are just worried about the sale, the difference is, is that those people, they're on an island and you're in a boat whether your boat brings on water or not, those people don't care. They're on an island. They're dry because they're only interested in that sale. The difference with myself is I'm in the boat with you. Thank you very much, uh, Danny, for taking us through what a initial uh, encounter, an interview should look like with a financial advisor, a good financial advisor. Before we wrap up, Danny, Anything that you would want to say to our audience uh, in regards to this interview, this relationship building with the planner, anything that is burning off your chest that must be said before we say goodbye? Always ask what credentials they have. Always look for a CFP. Do not be afraid to request or ask that you be dealt with by a CFP. 
Second thing is do not be afraid to ask how we are compensated. Ask what the fee structure is, ask what the compensation looks like and any commissions that may be paid and how they're paid. Do not be afraid to ask those questions. Uh, and third, work with somebody who is holistic, who, who, who runs the gamut on all the wealth management pillars that are out there. The investment, retirement, tax, estate, all those different pillars. If not, now you're going to find yourself having to deal with two or three, multi, you know, different two or three different people. And the problem there is that those people may not be talking back and forth to one another. So how can you have one person doing retirement strategies and somebody else doing tax tax planning for you? If they're not talking back and forth to one another, uh, it, it could create some major problems for you in your long-term planning. So the third thing I would ask is make sure that they do full holistic wealth management. Uh, I want to ask you that question because you brought it up. Don't be afraid to ask how your advisor is being compensated. A lot of the times, you know, just... In society, it may sound like a very offensive question, and sometimes it is because we're, you're dealing with people's, you know, earnings and people's families and etc. And so, asking that question is still a taboo concept. So, how do you make that discussion a little bit simpler or more comfortable? The reason why I bring it up is I think it's because I kind of place it on the table to start that discussion. Uh, so I think that kind of helps the client uh, ask the question. But simply, for the most part, the question I get asked is, how do you get paid? No one asks me how much. It's a, that's a very taboo private question. I, you know, I'm asking you how much you get paid. Yes, because I'm the one doing the wealth management for you. But the difference in the question is, how do you get paid? I explain, again, pen and paper. I draw it out for them uh, or even do it virtually. And I show them the three ways that I get paid. To me, it's not offensive. It's not a taboo question. You're a consumer of my service. You deserve to know how I get paid. If an advisor is not comfortable in telling you that, move on to the next one. I guess to add to what a, a person should be looking for is ask them how their fees are structured. How, what is the fee structure like in, in your business? Again, yeah. It's becoming more and more transparent in our world today that clients now see fees on their statements in dollar signs and a percentage sign. They didn't know. They didn't know they were paying these kinds of fees. Again, within two meetings, that's something that I'm kind of placing on the table. I have the fee conversation sometimes with my how I get paid conversation. Good. Good. And that's done before we even do any business. I want the client to understand who they're getting in bed with. If they're not comfortable, this is not going to be a long-term relationship. Let's not bother. So thank you for answering that very important question. So I think that's yeah. where we get into trouble when we ask questions that are worded differently. So thank you for that. Uh, and thank you for letting us know that it is okay for us to ask those type of questions. Thank you very much, Danny. Uh, I am looking forward to our next discussion. All right. Thanks for having me, Vu. So that was just amazing. It was very detailed in how Danny does his encounter and what a good encounter should look like. It sounds fairly straightforward, but sometimes it doesn't seem like it is. And we should know what 
a good encounter should look like. Seems to be basic. And since we're talking about basics, I would like to give a little plug for my upcoming workshop, June 4th, where we are talking about basic financial literacy for healthcare professionals. I will provide you with more detail as the coming months roll along, but I want you to mark it in your calendar, June 4th, financial workshop for healthcare professionals, and mark your calendars for June 4th, 2021. It's going to be extremely exciting. If you want to reach out to me, you can go on to my new website, financialhealthdoc.com. Again, it is financialhealthdoc.com or email me at hmfhd2020 at gmail.com. One more time, it is hmfhd hd2020 at gmail.com. How is My Financial Health Doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.